Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 17. You and I, we live in a world, our world individually, is bound by many limitations. Uh, we're limited on many fronts, and uh, I, I think about some of those in the audience who are a little more mature, you know, uh, like Brother Dave, who just turned 66, uh, you know, some of those that I, I've had conversations with some of you, and you've talked to me about how, in your mind, you're still 40, you're still 30, and in your mind, you say, well, I can do this. And you're ready and willing, and you start to do it, but the old body says, uh, no, uh, not happening. <laughs> you're not doing that today, right? I've had that conversation many times with, with many of you, not Dave yet. Uh, he hasn't told me that yet, so uh, it's giving him a hard time, but I don't know that he's there. But I'll tell you, the, the body uh, kind of lets us know what our limitations are, doesn't it? I mean, one guy was uh, joking about how, you know, a lot of times people see uh, you end up with these sports-related injuries. And you have these sports-related injuries, and, and you know, it's really hard on the body. And, and he said, the problem is, at my age, I'm having sleep-related injuries. <laughs> he says, I don't know what happened. I get up in the morning, and somehow, while I was sleeping, I threw my back out. <laughs> or, or, or all of a sudden, my leg doesn't function. I mean, how did I injure myself while I was sleeping? Our body gives us the limitations and lets us know where we can go and what we can do and what we can't do. Well, the disciples in our text here, they found themselves up against their limitations and were confronted with Christ who tried to establish for them his limitlessness, tried to let them know that he was the God of the impossible. Look with me in our text here, Matthew chapter 17. We will begin reading in verse number 14, down through 21. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic. I think there's a lot of parents from that time till now that have felt like going to God with that same cry. Uh, that, my son, Lord, help me. Not so much with the girls, but the boys, definitely, people... This, of course, uh, this son was, was not just unruly. He was possessed of a demon, possessed of a devil. And we see here that he was really torturing this child. He says that he, for he is a lunatic and he is sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and off into the water. And I brought him to the, thy disciples and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith, as a grain of mustard seed, he shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible 
unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. The disciples here found the extent of their own ability, but brought into the presence of Christ, brought into the realm of where God works, they were reminded that God is a God of the impossible. This morning, the choir sang a song. I don't know how well you were listening to the words, but can I remind you of them? They said, I don't know how God hangs the world on nothing or how he keeps the planets each in place. I cannot count the sands upon the seashore, nor can I count the stars that float in space. But God can do what seems impossible. God controls eternity. My mind can never comprehend it, but God in heaven cares for me. I don't know how the Lord can save a sinner or how his grace can cleanse and set him free. I can't explain the mystery of Calvary. I think, just to think, that Jesus died for even me. I don't know the meaning of forever, or just how long it's been since time began. I can't explain how Christ, who is eternal, could come to earth and die for sinful men. But God can do what seems impossible. God controls eternity. My mind can't comprehend it, but God cares for me. This is the God we serve, the God of the impossible. This morning, I just want to remind you of that. I want to exhort you and encourage you to reestablish in your heart and mind the awesomeness of the God we serve, the ability that He has in Certainly in our lives, we are confronted on a daily basis with our limitations and we come up against a wall or a challenge or a problem or a heartache or a situation that we look at and say, oh, it's impossible. But we serve a God of the impossible. I hope this morning to stir your heart to this very true fact that God can do what seems impossible. Today I had a birthday and turned 48. Amazing. This is a miracle, at least according to my mother. (laughs) My mother always told me growing up, she said, it'll be a miracle if you live to be 18. I don't know if that's because she was threatened to kill me or or because of the stupid stuff I was doing that I was going to kill myself. But it's a miracle of heaven, the impossible. I'm reminded of Garfield who said, they say nothing is impossible, but I do that every day. Some of you will get that later. (laughs) Beloved, the disciples had reached into their limitations and determined to give up. They just stopped. Christ called them and said, hey, bring the child over here. He said, come on, guys. I'm not going to be here forever. Come on, guys. Haven't you seen the power and the awesomeness of the Christ that you serve? How long is your faith going to waver so? How long are you going to not embrace the possibilities that are available unto you with God that's in your presence today? The disciples didn't pray because they didn't believe. I wonder how many of us don't pray. 
because we don't believe. If we really believed, we would pray. My son today is probably not going to walk up to Bob Campbell and ask him for $20. Because he pretty much believes he won't get it. (laughs) But, you know, if he had a need for $20, he wouldn't hesitate to come to his dad. He probably would go to his mom. That's probably what he would do, go to mom. Ask, ask her, you know, the one that's most likely to give it, right? You see, if we really believed, we would go. We would go to them. The disciples didn't pray because they didn't believe. The disciples hadn't fasted because they didn't think it would be worth the effort. But God said, you want to see the impossible, it's going to take some faith. At least enough faith to pray and fast. I hope this morning to strengthen your faith to the possibility of what God can do. Jesus called the disciples and he called them to have faith. He describes it as faith that can move a mountain. In our mind, we would think, well, if you need faith to move a mountain, you must have mountain-sized faith. But God says, no. You just need faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. And that can move a mountain. This is an unusual message for me. I don't have any points today. No, no points to put up on the screen. You guys aren't going to know what to write down. I'm just going to walk through, in my mind, I'm just thinking about the God of the impossible. And just sat and pondered for several hours yesterday about the God of the impossible. and Things in my life, things in the pages of scriptures, situations that we face as a church that remind us that we serve a God of the impossible. Some of you today are backed into a corner you don't know how to get out of. You're backed into a place and you say, I I don't know if there's any way out of this situation or way through this situation. But can I remind you about Moses and the children of Israel? They had just escaped from Egypt. God had miraculously given them a victory over their enemy and allowed them to escape, and they were out on the journey. Of course, following God, they were right where God wanted them to go, and there they found themselves at the Red Sea. There at the Red Sea, this is the only uh, area in that part of the country that is unique to this, and they're they're like in a gully. They're, they're, They're in between two mountainous regions. And the Red Sea in front of them, and you guys know the story, they see this cloud of dust approaching from the distance. Pharaoh's army is on, the, on its way. Pharaoh's army, the greatest military force of that time, was coming down upon this group of slaves. They didn't have any armament. They didn't have any defensive weapons. And they had nowhere to go. You know how they began to start complaining. Man, Moses, you shouldn't have brought us out here to die. Look at this mess, fine mess you've got. Like Laurel and Hardy. Look at this fine mess you've got us into. <laughs> look at this mess you got us into, Moses. What does Moses say? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And there they were in a situation that looked impossible, that there was no way that they could possibly be victorious. And yet, 
God parted the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground and then the Egyptian army was swallowed up and defeated by God for them. You're in a situation that you can't see a way through, but I want you to know you serve a God of the impossible and God can bring you through it. Yes, God can do the impossible. Those of you that were here, you might remember back in 2008, we were giving sacrificially. We were working as a church. We were in a small storefront, 3,000 square feet. We were packing that out and we needed a building bad. Cost of things in this area are so expensive. Uh, there's no way. And we started giving as a church and trying to raise some money. And our building fund went to 20000 30000 And man, I remember the victory of passing 50000 and And then it just kept going. But so limited in our resources for what was needed in this area. We were looking at all kinds of properties, looking at buildings all over the place, trying to find something that we could meet in as a church. I remember one uh, Sunday night... Brother Paul Cusimano comes into church and says, hey, I heard about a building that's for sale. It's called Pleasant Hill Chapel. It's up off a of, off of Cuba Road, Worthington Heights Parkway. So Monday morning, Dave got in the car and drove over here. The building was all shut up. He's looking around the building trying to find a way to get in. He's knocking on windows. and Ultimately, he made enough racket that somebody from inside the building uh, found him on the office entrance on the back side over there. They, they, they kind of cracked the door, and they're like, hello? And he says, well, uh, I heard that your building was for sale, and our church is very interested. Could I come in and look at it? And this lady was a church secretary, and she said, well, I don't know how you heard our building was for sale. We just voted as a church last night to sell it. So we came in and, and looked at the building and thought, man, this is amazing. Boy, God gave 15,000 square feet, a gymnasium, an auditorium, a classroom space. And man, this would be, oh, wow. Here we are, a little, little church, Timonium Road, no ability. We thought, well, with God, all things are possible. We, we decided to offer them $900,000. We offered them $900,000 and they turned it down. They listed it on the market for $2.25 million. But we had 20 people in the church, men and ladies, that said, you know what? We'll fast and pray that God would give us that building. For six months, those people committed to fast and pray at least one day a week. And as a church, we prayed fervently that God would open the door and provide the way for us to get this building. After six months, we resubmitted our proposal, said, we'll give you 900000 And they came back and said, well, if you could do a million. We'll do it. And we bought the building for $1 million. That's just the beginning of the miracles that God took us through. I mean, I could, for the next two and a half hours, I could tell you stories. Not the least of which the update this morning from Jehovah Jireh. We, we, didn't, we didn't have the money, even for the down payment. We needed $200,000 for a down payment. And by that time, our building fund had reached 100000 the bank came in and said, you need another $100,000. Dave said, well, we believe God's going to provide it. The bank said, well, that's fine and dandy, but we don't believe in that. We need, we need on the dotted line. We need, we need the money. Show me the money. The bank said, if this is going to happen, you have to have the money by 5 o'clock on Friday. 
we had no guarantee that we would receive anything from Jehovah Direct. Their average donation is somewhere around $20,000 is what they give churches on average. Sometimes they might give us a little more. I don't know what happened or why, but God touched their heart. And Jehovah Jireh is based over here in Clinton, Maryland. And since they're so close, the owner, the brother uh, Bossy, decided, hey, I'm just going to drive the check over. He, again, had no idea what was going on. On Friday, he gets in his car and he drives the check over, knocks on the storefront over there, and says, hey, I just wanted to present you this from Jehovah Jireh Ministries. Here's a check for $100,000. That was at about 1 o'clock. At 3 o'clock, the, the banker came in and said, well, where's the money? He said, here you go. It's the God of the impossible. Something that we could not possibly do, but we serve a God that can do the impossible. No matter what it is you're facing, yes, we serve a God of the impossible. Some of you remember over in 2 Kings, that story when Ben-Hadad laid siege to Samaria. It came to pass, the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse number 24, he says, And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. Now you remember Samaria was under besiege and the famine was so great, the Bible says that a quarter of a portion of dove's dung was for sale. <laughs> for, I don't remember, do you remember how many pennies, uh, pence or whatever? It, 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 I don't know what they would do with a quarter of a dove's dung, but the famine was bad. You know the story. The famine was so bad that actually two mothers talked among themselves and determined, listen, if we don't eat something, we're going to die. Why don't we sacrifice my baby today and we'll eat my baby today and then tomorrow we'll sacrifice your baby and eat your baby. Things got to get pretty bad for a mama to do that. And you know the story, the, they did sacrifice the first mother's baby, and the second day, the second mother said, nope, I ain't doing it, I can't, do, I can't go through with it. Well, the one mother thought that wasn't fair, and she went to the king, and she said, king, we decided to, decided to do this, and, and she's not holding up her end of the bargain. The king, realizing how wretched things had gotten, put on sackcloth and ashes, and just just broken over the mess that they were in. He thought Elisha had something to do with it, so he was planning to kill Elisha. But you remember the one that came to kill him, actually, Elisha sent him back with a message for the king, and then he said, hey, king, by this time tomorrow, there's going to be so much food, you're not going to know what to do with it. The king says, oh, that's, that's not going to happen. I mean, that would be nice, but look at this. Look at our situation. There's no possible way this can happen. It's actually chapter 7, verse number 1. Elisha said, hear ye the word of the Lord. This saith the Lord. Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. They thought this is impossible. There's no possible way this can happen, but you know the story that God caused the Syrian army to hear a great multitude coming down upon them. They thought, man, there's a huge army coming. We've got to go. And they got up and ran home, leaving all of their provision, all of their tents, all of their supplies, all of their food. Everything was left there. But the problem is it was still outside the city. 
So God touched the heart of a couple of uh, um, lepers. Said, hey, are you guys hungry? Why don't you go out there and get something to eat? I mean, you're, you're dead anyway. Right? I mean, if, if, if you don't eat, you're going to die. You got leprosy. That's going to kill you. And so if you go to the Syrian army, maybe they'll give you some food. Maybe they'll kill you. But either way, you haven't lost anything. So in their heart and mind, they determine among themselves they'll do that. And they go outside the city and they find the camp empty and all the food that's there. They go in and tell the city, look at this. And you see what God did. In one day, a situation that seemed impossible, a situation that seemed as though it couldn't possibly be overcome. Some of you, maybe you're dealing with or facing some financial situations in your life. And you say, there's no way. This time tomorrow, God could take care of that. We serve God, the God of the impossible. I'm just trying to stir your heart this morning to the ability that God has. Some of you are facing some unwinnable battles. You remember over in the book of Judges, chapter number 6, God told Gideon, He says, hey Gideon, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. You remember the story, Gideon says, "Um, you must be talking about somebody else. It's not me. He didn't believe God. You know, some of you in your heart and mind, you think, yeah, God can do the impossible for Pastor Caleb. But he can't do it for me. God can do the impossible for, for, for that Christian over there or that Christian over there, but, but God's not going to do it for me. That's what Gideon thought. He said, no, Lord, are you sure? And, and you know the story of the fleece. He put the fleece out. He said, okay, God, uh, I want the fleece wet and the ground dry. And God did it for him. And he says, yeah, I'm not sure about it. That's still not the case. Uh, Lord, you must be. Uh, tomorrow morning, I'm going to put it out again, and I want the ground wet and the fleece dry. And God did it again. What I'm saying to you is God can do the impossible with you. He can do it in and through you. You think, oh, that's for other believers. That's for somebody else. God can take this situation and fix it for them, but not for me. God can and wants to do it for you. He is still the God of the impossible. Gideon followed God and brought his army of 300 men against the Midianites and all that host that was gathered in the valley of Jezreel there. And you know that there's multitudes. Those, those men went into battle, and you know the story. They went into battle with three things. Let's get some audience engagement. What did they go in with? Three, what three things? A pitcher, somebody said that. A torch or, or a light. And a trumpet, a horn. Those three things, not the typical things you'd go into battle with. The only thing I could think is those soldiers probably thought in their mind, well, it's 300 against 135,000. I don't think it much matters what I'm carrying. (laughs) I mean, really make much difference. I mean, uh, sure, Gideon, this is what we're doing. I mean, can you imagine the faith of those men to say, this is what we're doing, Gideon? We're going into battle with this. You're saying, just blow, just blow this trumpet. But God does the impossible. You're looking at your ability. You're looking at your limitations. You're looking at who you are and comparing yourself to somebody else. But let's look at God. The God of the impossible. The God that we serve that can bring you through and give you victory in what is an unwinnable battle in your heart and mind. 
remember a family calling me in the middle of the night. I drove out to the home and there's the husband out on the front lawn and his wife is throwing his things out the window. Yelling at him, get out of here. Don't ever come back. The husband's crying on the front lawn. It's my family. It's my home. What can I do? I stood there with him. I look at it and say, God, what can he do? I don't have an answer. This looks like a situation that is impossible. There's no way this can be put back together. Look at how far gone this is. Can I tell you that family's still together today? We serve a God, the God of the impossible. What you're facing, you remember a few years ago, we were in a court case against Baltimore County. You talk about a David and Goliath situation. And here we are, this small church. None of us have any money besides Dave. <laughs> I mean, if we pooled all of our money together, you know, did everything we could do. What I'm saying is we, we were up against our limitations. And here we were in a situation against Baltimore County. Do you know on the current ballot, they want to, they're asking to raise over $300 million? Just, just what they're asking for on this ballot. That's not their budget. That's just what they're asking for on this particular ballot against the limitations of this little church. And don't think, man, Pastor Caleb had lots of faith. There's been many times that I sat in my office asking God that I do the right thing. We saw those those bills and those things coming in from the lawyers, 150,000, 200,000, 300,000, 400,000, 500,000, 600,000 bills. And I'm saying, Lord, did we do the right thing? I knew what we were fighting for was right. I knew the stand we were taking was, was good and it was just. And it wasn't just about us. It was about the, the way the county was being run. But I'm looking at it and saying, God, is, were we the ones supposed to do this? I don't know, Lord. It's an impossible task, an unbeatable battle. But we serve a God of the impossible. God gave us a victory. God covered all of those costs. What a miraculous God we serve. Man. Some of you are facing some health situations in your life. You look at the physical battle. You say, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to beat this. The doctor says there's not any hope. And I remind you about that story of the blind man over in John chapter 9. Jesus comes upon a blind man, a man that was blind from his birth. The disciples ask Christ about it and he, he approaches a blind man. In John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, he says, And Jesus passed by, and he saw a man which was blind from his birth. 
And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Listen to this. Some of you need this this morning. He says, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. You might be going through something that you think, what did I do wrong? You didn't do anything wrong. You might be up against a challenge or a heartache or a situation. Something might have happened in your life and you say, why is this before me? Maybe it's that the works of God could be manifest in your life. So you could declare the goodness of God. The, the, the victory that was wrought because you serve a God of the impossible. There was some great controversy over the healing of this man because, of course, Jesus did it on the Sabbath. You know, the, the Pharisees didn't like that. So they decided, well, is this man a sinner or, or, or is he a prophet? Some said, well, he must be a sinner or he wouldn't have done this on the Sabbath. And they said, well, no, he must be a prophet or else he couldn't have done this at all. So, so which is it? And they're, they're debating among themselves, and they ask their, their, his parents about it. And, and his parents are saying, well, this surely is our son, but if you want, to ask, if you want an answer as to how well, uh, how he got healed, you're going to have to ask him. The Bible actually explains they literally were putting it on their son because they were afraid of getting thrown out of the synagogue. <laughs> they said, just, he's grown, boy. Ask him. <laughs> we're good. Yeah, that's our son. Find out what he says, you know. And, and they go to him, and this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. They go to him and they say, hey, how, how is it that you're healed? How is it that, that your eyes are fixed? I mean, is this man a prophet or is this man a sinner? He says, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know is that where I was blind, now I see. Where I was blind, now I see. He said, I don't know about the question you're asking, but there's one thing I do know, and that is where I was once blind, I now can see. And beloved, sometimes you might not know how it happened. You might not be able to explain the situation, but you can say, hey, I don't know what happened, but what I do know is that once I was sick and now I'm healed. Once I had this problem and it's been fixed. Once I had this struggle and I've got victory. Once I was in this situation and now I'm through it. I can get through it because of God. Man. Because God did it. People want to take God's credit today. People want to say it's a mistaken diagnosis. Oh, we must have messed up. I was talking to somebody recently that went in with a diagnosis of cancer. Went through all the preliminary treatments, all the preliminary examinations. Went in for their first chemo treatment. Don't know why, but the doctor decided to do a scan. The doctor said, wait a minute. We're not seeing any markers here. There must be something. Wait, let's, let's go back here and do some more tests because we're, we're not seeing the markers that we're, we're supposed to see. It doesn't look like you have cancer. Of course, the doctor says, oh, that's misdiagnosis. Somehow it must have read wrong. We say we serve a God of the impossible. Listen, God can do it. I'm just trying to stir your faith this morning and remind you of some things that God has done in the past and he wants to and can do for you. 
Remember over in Mark chapter 14, it's a great multitude. Great multitude was continually pressing to hear Christ and wanted to sit at his feet and to learn. And all day they stayed with him. And it was getting late. And you remember Jesus looked at the disciples and said, hey, give you, give you them to eat. He said, these guys are hungry. We need to feed them. And they're like, well, we can't feed them. And he says, well, what do you have? And he says, well, the only thing we've got is five loaves and two fish. We just got this little bit of food here from this lad. Lunch. You know, you look at your ability and you say, boy, it's so limited. I don't, have, I don't have much ability. I don't know how I can possibly meet this need. I don't know how I can possibly get through this. And God told the disciples, hey, bring it to me. You know, when you take what you have and you put it in God's hands, some miraculous things happen. Things that are beyond our comprehension, that are beyond our understanding or our ability. Jesus took that five loaves and two fish and he began to break it, didn't he? He began to break it. And he asked his disciples, divide the, divide the groups up and let's, let's get these people fed. And he kept breaking it. When everybody had all they could eat at Jesus' buffet, they had 12 basketfuls left over. That's the God of the impossible. I know you look at your ability and the situation that you face and you say, I can't do it. I just want to stir your heart this morning and remind you you serve a God, the God of the impossible. He can help you. Could you take what you have and put it in the arms of God? Could Could you trust Him enough? Could you have enough faith to pray? enough faith to maybe fast and say, God, I don't have the answer, but what I have, I'm going to give you. I don't have the solution, but what I have, I'm going to put in your hands, Lord. And God will bring you through. I've seen it over and over and over again. It's one of the thrills of being a pastor, seeing God do the impossible in the lives of his people. Sometimes situations that I can't share with the whole church. Not my stories to tell. But beloved, we serve the God of the impossible. He wants to do it for you. He wants to do it for you. Listen, do you have a need you can't provide for? This time tomorrow, God can make a way. Do you have a health challenge that looks impossible? Don't know how it happened, but God can do it. Are you facing some unwinnable battle or struggle in your life that you don't see how it can happen? We serve a God of the God of the impossible. Are you backed into a corner? Don't see any way out? Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord.